listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 Well, you just heard the golden voice of the man from above at Fox Sports Radio. It's that time of week again, and we've got an epic show for you tonight. You know, a wise man once said, man's mind stretched to a new dimension never returns to its original state. And that's our goal, to provoke thought, to make you think. And along the way, well, we'll... We'll overstate our self-importance while delivering viable content to a grateful nation. And on that note, welcome back to another award-winning edition of Straight Out of Vegas, the weekend adaptation. I'm Bernie Frado. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. So go to geico.com for a free rate quote. Tonight, I'm going to give you my Super Bowl winner prediction. Why not look ahead and have a little fun? I did it in 2018 with the Patriots and last year with the Chiefs, both times during Thanksgiving weekend, so let's see if I can go three for three. Now, my rationale might be a little idiosyncratic, but hang with me because I'll explain my reasoning in great detail. And I'm also going to take a deep dive into Sunday's NFL games and another big contest for first place that no one seems to be really talking about. And later on, after Brian Finley's epic update, Sleepy will weigh in on another best bet. And, of course, we close down the show with Mackinac Sports and plenty of fodder to twist your brain in knots. Sports are entertainment, but they're more than that. They're a shared experience. As such, people want to talk about them. You've come to the right place. We've got a lot to talk about. This is Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. And as they say, and Dan Orlovsky just ran out of the back of the end zone, Minnesota, it's going to be lit. All right, first, I, I want to say I hope everybody is enjoying their Thanksgiving weekend and in a year for the ages, which has tested the will of humanity collectively and individually, still, I strongly suggest that we all take a minute to count our blessings. Because if there's one thing that will always be constant, it's that we can't control what happens to us in life, but we can control how we react. Which brings me to the central theme of my opening monologue tonight, and it takes me back to an innocuous tweet I sent last week chronicling a little basketball game I covered back in November 2004. See, I was really shocked at the, wow, you were there? Comments I got in return. And it wasn't just any basketball game. In fact, the response I got because I was there floored me. And it even leaves a clue as to who will win the Super Bowl this season. Work with me, I promise you. I will connect the dots. The basketball game I'm referring to is, and always will be, known in common parlance as the malice at the palace. And in addition to being recognized as one of the most notorious sporting events of all time, it served to highlight the importance of culture and life lessons championship teams can draw from. Because throughout history, including this year, and this was born over the last couple of months, see, in fact, look at the three championship teams in the COVID era. The Los Angeles Lakers, the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, what do they all have in common? They're all proud franchises with long histories and commercial success. And each of them, well, they hadn't exactly been hosting championship parades in recent times. In fact, before this year, the last time the Dodgers won the World Series, Ronald Reagan was president. And the last time the Lakers won the NBA championship was back in 2010 when the number one song was California Girls by Katy Perry. And as for the Tampa Bay Lightning, well, before winning the Stanley Cup in October, the last time they won, Barack Obama hadn't even been elected for his first term. But each organization in their own right did its best in the interim to maintain and uphold the standards of a culture 
that had been established long ago. And by definition, a team culture, well, come on, you know what that means. It makes It's your values, your beliefs, your attitudes, and the behavior shared by a team. It's how people work together towards a common goal and how they treat each other. And, yes, I know each team had their moments and it even played out in the media, but in the end it was their culture foundation that was built on a bed of rock that sustained the Lakers, the Dodgers, and the Tampa Bay Lightning through the tough times, which brings me back to the malice at the Palace. And how, 16 years later, it leaves clues as to who will win the Super Bowl this season. So, first let me I'll tell you, take a quick walk back with me in time and I'll tell you a little story. The 2003-2004 Indiana Pacers were supposed to win the NBA championship that season. They had a talented roster and they were led by an angry but extremely capable head coach in Rick Carlisle who had been unceremoniously fired by those same Detroit Pistons the year before, despite winning 50 games. He had something to prove in the 4 Pacers. Well, they had a good season. They won 61 games. They were loaded with talent. They won their division, and they had the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. And when the playoffs started, they made short work of the Celtics, sweeping them in four games. Then they dispatched the Miami Heat in six to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals against, yes, the upstart Detroit Pistons. To make no mistake, the Pacers, they were prohibitive favorites. But then a funny thing happened. The series was tied 2-2 heading into Game 5 at the Conseco Fieldhouse in Indianapolis where the steady, defensive-minded Pistons, they beat the Pacers 83-65 and then proceeded to close Indiana out in Game 6 at the Palace. For the record, Larry Brown's Detroit Pistons then went on to defeat the Lakers four games to one to win the whole enchilada in 2004, but I digress. See, the entire offseason after that happened, the Pacers were seething and they pointed to their rematch with the Pistons in Auburn Hills on November 19, 2004. And on that night, the Pacers led 97-82 with 45 seconds remaining, but oddly enough, Indiana's starting five remained on the floor, and then the fun began. Pistons center Ben Wallace floated to the basket for a routine layup, and he was fouled very aggressively from behind by Ron Artest, who slapped him across the back of the head during a layup attempt. Wallace later said that Artest had warned him he would be hit. So Ben Wallace responded by shoving Artest in the face with both hands, and then both players were you know, quick to get separated by their teammates as all their teammates attempted to keep Artest and Ben Wallace separated. But meanwhile, Artest glided around the floor like a whirling dervish and proceeded to lie down on the scorer's table. Then spontaneous combustion erupted. As a flying beer cup... Yes, it was empty. People always want to say it was full. It was a full beer, but it wasn't. Well, it hit our test, and then all hell broke loose. Our test charged into the stands. He punched the guy he thought had thrown the cup, but actually had the wrong guy. And as lore has it, the reason the gentleman who threw the cup, his name was John, by the way, did so as part of a bet with his buddy. Nope, folks, you can't make this stuff up. And as luck would have it, Commissioner David Stern was watching the whole game on TV. And as uh, Pacers uh, center, uh, Jermaine O'Neal, later said, and I agree with him, quote, as bad as it looked on TV, it was at least 20 times worse in person. After everything calmed down back in the locker room, Ron Artest asked his teammate Stephen Jackson if he thought that they would be in trouble. (laughs) Jackson responded, are you serious? Trouble, Ron? We'll be lucky if we have a freaking job. The conversation had actually convinced and amazed Jackson that Ron Artest, quote, was not in his right mind to even ask that question. 
On the following day, the NBA announced that nine players would be suspended for a total of what eventually became 146 games, and it essentially ruined the entire season for the promising Indiana Pacers. It spiraled downward. They went from a legitimate contender to a team that was barely 500, and after the 0405 season, the Pacers completed a major overhaul of their roster, and they struggled mightily as a franchise, not even making the playoffs again till the spring of 2012. Now, while it's against the law to practice psychology without a license, I contend that an unhealthy team culture fostered by the Indiana Pacers leadership led it let their future fate hang in the balance because they were focused on settling past scores instead of winning a championship. See, Red, Rick Carlisle, the then head coach of the Pacers, viewed this matchup as a statement game. He wanted to prove that they were better and stronger, that a road to repeat the NBA championship would have to go through Indianapolis because it was Carlisle's decision to keep the players fighting in powder keg mode when the victory was already there. They were up 15 points with 45 seconds left. It created a scenario where both sides wanted to uh, damage the other side in the name of making a statement. It was Jamal Tinsley's decision to remind Ron Artest there was still plenty of time to repay a debt of a hard foul that had been committed in the previous season. There was still time for Artest to get back at Ben Wallace, and it was Artest's decision to listen, to play with fire, to get even instead of simply moving on. And after Wallace had gotten to the basket and converted the easy layup, Artest then shoved Wallace on his way to the ground. But Wallace, in fact, did not fall. He only stumbled. He then pushed Artest, igniting what should have been an in- – that should have ended the scuffle right there. But instead, emotions that had been held in for an entire summer began to break loose. It was a night that was, in fact, the ugliest night in the history of the Indiana Pacers. It was a malice at the palace. And for the record, the Indiana Pacers still have never won an NBA championship. And unlike the Dodgers, who have endured taunts and hecklings, as have the Lakers and even the Tampa Bay Lightning, who were callously eliminated in the first round in four games last season by the number eight seed Columbus Blue Jackets, well, all these, frown, uh, all these proud franchises, in spite of decades of disappointment, they kept their heads about them. They stayed true to their beliefs and their established cultures, and they refused to be grinded down by the bastards. And as I said back in July, there are no asterisks in the COVID era, because if anything, it's far more difficult to win now than in normal years. The common theme is simply, you must be mentally tougher than your opponent 24-7 off the field while still finding a way to perform in the arena of battle as you are consistently facing constant pressure and uncertainty. So now comes the NFL. What have we learned? Who checks all the boxes in the NFL COVID era? If past is prologue, who will hoist the Lombardi Trophy next February? For me, it's a team that hasn't won a Super Bowl since February 2009. Check. They have a long history of stability, though. Check. They've dealt with their share of turmoil, but they've always managed to maintain their dignity while not airing their dirty laundry in public. Check. And just like the Lakers and Dodgers, their success spans generations. Yes, I'm talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers. They will win the Super Bowl. In future shows, I will fill in the blanks as to why I picked the Steelers to win it all just like I did with the Patriots two years ago. But for now, I'll just say this. The sustained 50-year success of the Pittsburgh Steelers franchise begins and ends with stellar ownership, respectable management, and solid leadership. I said it in August, and you can find the podcast. Mike Tomlin and his team never have two bad years in a row. In other words, they may not be able to control what happens to them, but they've proven They know how to react and respond, and that's not a bad parlay 
and the COVID era. Coming up, big NFL slate to get to. Lots of interesting games and matchups, a pros versus Joes game, some best bets, and some angles you will want to know about. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. This is the pregame show you always wanted. So don't go away. You're listening to Straight Out of Vegas. Straight out of Vegas! The great Bernie Fratto, folks. Yeah, back on Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? Means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. It is week 12 of the National Football League. Hard to believe. After this week, there are five weeks left. Many of the divisions taking shape. Cannot get my mind around this NFC East. By the way, last week, road teams were 9-5 and five against the number, 8-6 and six under to the total. And uh, there was action all over the board. One of the, one of the things you hear a lot in, sometimes in Vegas is pros versus Joe, sharps versus squares, and that, types of thing, uh, that type of thing. One of the games tomorrow, uh, you have to give uh, the Raiders a lot of credit. They've really played good football. They've overachieved, in my view. Uh, their win-loss total, I believe, was 6.5-7. They're, they're, they're clearly going to go over that. I thought it was a good overplay at the beginning of the year, but I thought they'd land on seven. But they're a good team. Uh, they play hard. They've adapted well under Gruden. Derek Carr's having an excellent year. They're actually 7-3 and three against the number. And they're tied with Buffalo and Tennessee for the best, uh, you know, spread record. But long and the short of it is they traveled to Atlanta. And this is shaping up to be the classic pros versus show, uh, Joe's showdown at the uh, Las Vegas Sportsbook. So the Sharps are, are backing Atlanta. And the uh, they're they're on the under, and the recreational betters they're barking or they're banking on the Raiders, uh, and the over. So the line currently is the Falcons plus three. Uh, the Raiders opened up as a consensus three point road favorite, and the line simply has not budged. So the public's on the Raiders, the pros are on the Falcons. Here's the thing: the Raiders have a pretty leaky defense. It ranks 24th in the NFL. In total defense, they give up 386 yards a game. And so professional bettors have a tendency to not lay points on the road with a bad defense, and that's why they've stayed away. But it's going to be a fun, interesting game to watch because the Raiders are entertaining and they play hard. A game I was really looking forward to watching Thursday night was the Ravens and Pittsburgh. Now, fingers crossed, the game will be played Tuesday. Um it would have been a great game Thursday night, and things have changed. I, I, the the Steelers were, I think, three and a half. They opened three and a half, four. They're now up to eight, I believe. And I like the Steelers anyway. I'm not going to chase that line, but it's not really necessarily a great matchup for the Ravens in the sense that if you look at their offense versus the Steelers' defense, which is real, um, the Ravens' offense is only 12th in points per game. 24th in yards per game. Meanwhile, Pittsburgh in those two categories is first in points per game allowed and fourth in yards per game allowed. Lamar Jackson's regressed. Last year he was running for about 80 yards a game, now 58. His uh, quarterback rating is down. But interestingly enough, 
The underdog has covered in nine of the last ten meetings between those two. The Ravens outgained them in in the, their first matchup this year, and Baltimore is five and two straight up and six and one against the number as a road underdog. So there's probably some value there. At this point, it's not a game I'm going to be involved in. Some other games I find of great interest, however, Buffalo at home laying five and a half or six against the Chargers, depending on the shop where you bet. For me, this game is all about motivation, and I think uh, Buffalo's got a lot of it, and I'm not sure if the Chargers do. I think they're playing out the string, and I think Buffalo, well, I know Buffalo is playing for a home playoff game, uh, the opportunity to host a home playoff game, and uh, they're coming off a bye. And there's some interesting angles here. Uh, rookie quarterbacks traveling east are 1-14 and 14 straight up in the eastern time zone. I wouldn't suspect the Chargers were live to win this game all right, although this is the National Football League. Uh, anything can happen. But you've got a situation where the Chargers are also 1-9 and nine in their last 10 straight up and 0-10 and against the number versus an opponent coming off a bye. Buffalo, to me, is the much better team. And they've only lost three games. They lost to Kansas City, they lost at Tennessee, and they lost at Arizona. I like I like Buffalo tomorrow. The other game, uh, do you really think the Jets are going 16? I, I don't. Uh, by the way, for not for nothing, uh, if you want to, there's there's books out there that are that have a prop for the Steelers to go 16 and 0. They're now eight to one to go 16 and 0. Could it happen? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, it's not a bet I'm involved in, but it's fun to talk about. Uh, the Jets plus seven over Miami. Now the Jets are. 0-10 for the first time in their, their entire history, and they're the ninth NFL team in this century to start 0-10. And of the previous eight, well, only two of them, the 2008 Browns, a team I covered, coached by Rod Marinelli, and the 2017 Browns, which I said 2008 Lions, right? I hope I didn't misspeak there. The 2017 Browns, they both finished 0-16. Now, just found out earlier today that Tua Tagovailoa uh, will not start. Ryan Fitzmagic will start. And I, you, now at this point of the season, you really know what you're going to get with him because he teases you and he plays well. And then all of a sudden, right before midnight, you know, midnight strikes and he turns back into a career backup. But truthfully, and as much as I like Tua Tagovailoa and I, I like what they're doing, what Brian Flores is doing, and I, their defense is excellent. I like the way they compete. The last three weeks, they were outgained about 173 yards per contest. That's not sustainable. And Tagovailoa had just 83 yards passing through three quarters last week when he was benched for Fitzpatrick, although I'm hearing my moles are telling me that he really wasn't benched. He was taking a lot of hits, a la, you know, Clubber Lang and Rocky Balboa, and I think Brian Flores was scared. I think he pulled him out of fear and that he didn't want to have a Joe Burrow situation. I know he's been second-guessed in question, um, and he must be nicked up because he's not starting tomorrow and injury has something to do with it. But I think long-term, they've got a good match there. I wouldn't overreact to what happened last weekend. I know there's been lots of debates about stunning his development, but I think they were afraid he was going to get hurt. I really do. Um, we don't know. We'll see. But the key is, is Miami's looking for a W because they've still got designs of making this uh, extended playoff field. And the Jets, well, they're motivated to not go 0-16. Sam Darnold will start. I, for the record, have the Jets plus seven points. I do, uh, in fact, like the Jets in that spot. A team I've been singing the praises about since August, I really like the Indianapolis Colts. They proved it again last week. 
Um, they were behind. I get that. They came back. They roared back and, and got it done. Uh, I still believe they've got the best offensive line in football. They do have the second best defense in football, and they'll be matching up against Tennessee's 25th ranked defense. And we've talked about that before in a game with uh, Pittsburgh a few weeks back where Indy has had great difficulty getting teams off the field on third down. So, and by the way, the, the Titans are 0-16 straight up and 2-13, 2-13-1 against the number as a single divi- as a single digit division road underdog. So they're only catching, I guess the line's down to three now at Indy, but it is a game for first place. And again, you've got the situation where Indianapolis, they've been outgaining their foes at plus 75 net yards per game, while Tennessee is being, being outgained at negative 10 yards per contest. So one of the things you can look at in this game is their common opponents as well. This season, Indianapolis is 5-0 and uh, in the stats uh, for, uh, their, I think, about, cumulative about 558-plus yards against the same opponents that uh, Tennessee has with their minus 112 yards. That is to say, in the same common opponents that Indianapolis has played in addition to Tennessee, they've outgained those opponents 558 yards, and Tennessee was outgained by 112 yards. That's net 670 yards in the Colts' favor, which translates to about 130 yards per game. And that's no surprise that the Colts actually outgained the Titans by 136 yards in their win at Tennessee earlier this season. Moral of the story, I like the uh, I like the Colts here in this game. I thought they were they showed a lot of grit last week against Green Bay and they showed to me like a playoff team, and I still think Frank Reich is one of the top three, four coaches in the NFL, and they've just got a good combination of things happening there. I still want to get to New York Giants-Cincinnati for various reasons, the 49ers-Rams, Seattle, Philadelphia, and certainly Tampa Bay-Kansas City. And we also have a best bet from uh, Sleepy, who is going to bring us to a teaser Remember, in the past weeks, he's done a lot of prop bets with individual players, and his best bet tomorrow will have to be a teaser bet, which I'm going to get to. And I also want to comment quickly on this week-to-week love affair that people have with Tom Brady. They love to hate on him, and they love to lie in wait whenever something goes wrong. But this is an evolutional process, what I think Brady and Tampa Bay are doing, and I'm going to explain why I feel that way and draw another historical example in just a minute. But first, well, let's go to the man, oh, that man, so smooth. If he visited the Virgin Islands, they would simply become the islands. See what I did there? Let's go to Brian Finley wow. with the latest. Thank you so much, Bernie. I love it. Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. settling for a draw in a made-for-TV boxing spectacle in Los Angeles featuring the two 50-plus-year-olds. Tyson, who landed more body shots, said afterwards he wants in on another exhibition bout. Also on the card, YouTube diva Jake Paul knocking former NBA player Nate Robinson out unconscious and Robinson writes on Instagram afterwards that he's okay. To college football, Mac Jones sprucing up number one Alabama with five touchdown passes as the Tide bench press number 22 Auburn 42-13. 
Fifth-ranked Texas A&M teeing off on LSU 20-7 after forcing three Tiger turnovers. Michigan State powering down number eight Northwestern 29-20. The Wildcats incur their first defeat. On the NFL front, the Denver Broncos will play the Saints on Sunday naked in the quarterback category. All of Denver's available QBs are ruled out as high-risk close contacts to Broncos signal caller Jeff Driscoll who tested positive for coronavirus on Thursday. The Detroit Lions getting rid of head coach Matt Patricia and general manager Bob Quinn. Patricia sported a mere 13-29-1 in his three seasons in Detroit. And politicians in Santa Clara County, California, have made the 49ers temporarily homeless, enacting a measure that outlaws professional sports from taking place for a three-week stretch in December due to COVID-19. Now let's get back to a man where Penn and Teller will come to see him perform in Vegas. Yes, that is right. It's Bernie Fratto. And that would be the silver-tongued devil, Brian Finley. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. All right, Sleepy has been very solid in his best bets this year. Many times uh, they involve player props. Tomorrow involves a teaser. And as you know, with a teaser, you can play a six-point teaser, six-and-a-half, seven-point teaser. And the way... Sleepy has laid out this teaser is the way you're going is the right way to do it. And it involves two teams that have not exactly been a fixture in the playoffs in recent times, but they're doing their best to climb the ladder of success. And they're both road favorites tomorrow. And Sleepy's going to tell you how you should bet when it comes to these two teams. Let's give it a listen. All right, Bernie, here we go. NFL week 12 best bet. I'm going to go ahead and make this one short and sweet. We're going to go ahead. We're going to play a seven point teaser here. On the New York football Giants and the Cleveland Browns. Giants, they're going to go into Cincinnati. Cincinnati, they're going to have Brandon Allen at quarterback. Joe Burrow is now out for the season. And I believe that's a mental blow for Cincinnati here. The Giants still live in the NFC East, believe it or not. And the Cleveland Browns, they're going to be on the road here at Jacksonville. Jacksonville, they're going to start Mike Glennon. Bernie, you believe that? A Mike Glennon sighting. Jacksonville is going to be without two of their better wide receivers. DJ Shark is out. Chris Conley is out. I don't know how we can trust Glennon or Allen to go ahead and get the job done against our seven-point tease here, Bernie. But what I will recommend here is going ahead and playing the Giants in Cleveland right now in that seven-point tease. I believe these two teams will be used tomorrow in a ton of teaser wagers. So the closer you get to kickoff, I would say the line in these games is going to be around eight, eight and a half. The books want you laying a point, point and a half in the teasers. We want to avoid that. We want to make that bet right now. New York Giants, Cleveland Browns, seven point tease. That's my NFL week 12 best bet. All right. Good stuff, Sleepy. And if you're going to bet a teaser, that's how you do it. Because the key numbers in football are three, four, six, and seven. And you want to try to cross through those numbers going back either way because the odds makers and the Matthews are so sharp. It's presumed that if the Giants are going on the road and they're laying a touchdown and it's against a backup quarterback, no Joe Burrow, they should win the game. But it can be a tall order to cover a touchdown on the road against another National League football team. Same with Cleveland as they head down to Jacksonville. First road game, by the way, for the Browns since October 25th when they went to Cincinnati. And, you know, Gardner Minshew is going to compete. He's probably about a four-point upgrade over Luton. However, Cleveland should, by the numbers, win that game. So if you just have to win those two games and you need two outcomes, that's not a bad way to bet a teaser. 
All right, a couple of other games I, I really want to get to here. Um, I believe Fez's best bet is the 49ers catching seven against the Rams. Rams coming off their big Monday night football win. They've got Arizona on deck this week, a classic sandwich game for uh, the 49ers. And I believe, uh, check that, for the Rams. And the Rams did lose at San Francisco 24-16 to a few weeks back. You're getting a nice number. San Francisco should compete. I do like what they're doing there. They, they've just been a mash unit. Otherwise, they would have been a, a lot more competitive. All right, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Kansas City and Tampa Bay. Uh, one of the, the reason teams beat Tom Brady is they come at him with a, an A-gap rush, double-A-gap rush, and certain teams do better than others. The Chiefs only have a 19th-ranked pass rush. So are they going to be able to pressure Brady? And look, everybody's dogging him because of what happened last week. Uh, he's had four, uh, 47 fourth-quarter uh, game-winning drives. And heading into this season, many people predicted doom for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. My good buddy Rob Parker, who gets a lot of things right, but he's on the Brady crusade. He said they'd win six games. Well, he's right. They've, they've won seven. So they did win six. But they're going to win ten. And, you know, Brady doesn't play defense. They allowed 413 yards to the Rams last week, and the Rams are like 8 for 12 on third down conversions. So, look, they're 7-4, and four, 25 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. They've been, you know, predicting Brady's demise since he turned 40 in August of 77. They've been to the playoffs every year, been to two Super Bowls, 1-1. And, listen, Brady clashed. You, you might not know this, but Brady clashed with Lloyd Carr at Michigan. And Bruce Arians clashes with all of his quarterbacks. He just about got Big Ben killed in Pittsburgh. Big Ben was sacked 215 times when he played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Andrew Luck got beat up a lot. Jameis. So Brady, excuse me, Arians and quarterbacks, you know, aren't always the most uh, lovey-dovey, uh, hug-it-out, fest-type situations. And make no mistake, Belichick used to ride Brady like a rented mule, too. He just did it in, in private. So... My point on that is allow the Tampa Bay, Tom Brady, Bruce Arians experience to evolve. You know, things evolve in life. They don't always, you don't always get the finished product right out of the gate. I, I heard a, a report out of Houston last week. Here's another parallel. They're going to uh, refurbish the Astrodome. They're going to do something with it. I don't know if you've ever been to Houston the Astrodome now sits right next to uh, NRG Stadium where the Texans play. It's incredible what technology looks like now because NRG Stadium is big and huge and the Astrodome looks like a, a little toy now. But it didn't look that way in 65. It was the eighth wonder of the world. And I remember the first time I went to a game at the Astrodome many, many years ago in the, in the early 80s. It was incredible. It was a marvel. But what's interesting is when the Astrodome opened, it was called the eighth wonder of the world. Uh, and they played an exhibition game against the New York Yankees. And, oh, by the way, Mickey Mantle hit the first home run ever at the Houston Astrodome. But I, I digress. Well, here's where I'm going with this. They opened the Astrodome, and the players immediately complained that they had great trouble seeing fly balls because there were some translucent panels so the sunlight could come in so the grass could grow. That's right. When the Astrodome opened, there was grass on the field, real grass. And that was made possible because of the translucent ceiling panels. The problem is the players couldn't see fly balls. 
So within a, a matter of time, they painted those panels so that you could see the fly balls, but then the grass died. And in the following year, in 1966, they came up with a little invention called AstroTurf. So see, it took a while even for the eighth wonder of the world, the Astrodome, to take shape and take form and mature and become the landmark that it has become. They haven't played there now in 22 years, I believe. Uh, but they're going to refurbish it because people feel that strongly about it. Well, the moral of the story is, I still say, let the Tampa Bay, Tom Brady, Bruce Arians experience evolve. You know, too many folks have been writing Brady's epitaph for years now, and you don't like him. It's a personal thing with you. It's a vendetta. It's highly subjective. People get all up in their fields about Brady. He didn't shake hands. You look for anything. If he took up two parking spaces, fine. Think what you want. Say what you want. The man's record speaks for itself. We don't know what his record's going to be till the end of the year, so why don't we play it out? I do know this. What if they were 4-7 and seven instead of 7-4? and four? I can't imagine how obnoxious some of you would be, and they know who you are. All right, speaking of a guy who's not obnoxious, you know him, you love him, you can't live without him. It's time for Mackinac Sports, and with Matt Patricia being fired, well, there are actually odds offshore on who might be the Lions' next coach, but it also begs the discussion because there are, it looks like, probably going to be at least five jobs open that we can speculate about. Which ones will be the best, or which one would you rather have, or which one is likely to have success the soonest. We're going to chop all that up coming up with Mackinac Sports. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago. I'm Bernie Frado. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. This is the pregame show you always wanted. So don't go away. You're listening to Straight Out of Vegas. Straight out of Vegas! One of the best in the business, Bernie Frado. We are back. On Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted, complete with Motown bumper music. I'm Bernie Fratto, coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. It's that time of the show. You know him, you love him. You can't live without him. It's Mackinac Sports and Mackenzie Rivers. And Mackenzie, little breaking news in the National Football League today. Matt Patricia has, uh, has been relieved of his duties in, in Detroit. And so the requisite names, actually there are some odds offshore, as to uh, who might be their next coach, and uh, some recognizable names here, actually. Definitely. For me, as a 49ers fan, the very first name on the list, I'm sorry to see it's my favorite D.C., Robert Salah. What do you think about that? Well, Ryan? first of all, he's a defensive-minded coordinator who's done an excellent job, and he's from Dearborn, Michigan. I knew that. And he actually went to Fortson High School in Dearborn, Michigan. You Michiganers listening to me out there, you all know about the forts and tractors, and even in high school, they always had great defenses. But the second name on the list intrigues me because I would hire Eric Bieniemy in a heartbeat for multiple reasons. I would hire him for $20 million a year under the sole condition that he takes Patrick Mahomes with him wherever he goes. Yeah, that'll happen, sure. No problem. <laughs> I'm the sure other the names, will be okay with that. I don't want Lincoln Riley. Look, he can't. You're, even Biennium is going to be a bit of a stretch in the sense because he's never been a head coach. And I'm telling you that all my years covering the Lions, it doesn't work. Even Steve Mariucci, who'd been 12-4 and with the Niners, he struggled there. Jim Harbaugh, zero chance. Kellen Moore and Daryl Bevel, zero chance because they will not retain anybody on the same staff that's been part of that culture. Well, you say you want NFL experience. I only see one name on this list of favorites for the next Lions job that has any NFL experience, what's your problem with Jim Harbaugh? 
that's not a fit at all, and the optics would be terrible. Uh, and yeah, I don't I'm think sure you, I'm sure you want to get out of that. State well, at some point. well, not necessarily. But he, but here's the thing: he actually has NFL jobs he covers based on what my moles tell me. If the Bears' job were to come alive, uh, and Matt Nagy, for some reason, I don't like to talk about this when a man's got a job, but Harbaugh would would walk there. Because he has a long history with the McCaskies, him and Mike Ditker, like this as I hold my fingers together. He played for the Bears. He's been courted by the Jets. That's a realistic possibility in the Houston Texans. But the reality of it is, we don't really know. These are, it's fun to speculate about this. Here's really the question. As these jobs likely to become available, come available, you have sort of some thoughts as to which one you think would be the most desirable job and the best job. But before you get to that, tell me in your words what you think constitutes a good job in the NFL. There's two ways an NFL coaching job can be attractive, to, in my perspective. The first way is if you have a quarterback. This is the Los Angeles Chargers. I'm sorry, Anthony Lynn, but according to the odds, there's a very good chance the Los Angeles Chargers job will be available. That's the best job in the NFL. you got a franchise QB walking in day one. You can build your whole concept around that. There's another way you could have a good NFL coaching job. Rope. If you have time, if you have years, if you can make mistakes— Robert Salah is not going to know everything about being a great NFL coach day one. But if he has rope, if he has a five-year deal, which is a real five-year deal, then he can go through a couple quarterbacks, go through a couple systems, and find something that works best for him and his philosophy. So those are the two ways. Either you got the QB or you got a little rope to work with. Well, here's where I might debunk your theory respectfully. Because when Matt Patricia arrived in Detroit in 2018, he had, quote, in Mm -hmm. air quotes, (laughs) A franchise quarterback yep. and Matt Stafford. And he, who, he also had some rope, but you know what he didn't have? Coaching ability. Well, he lost totally. He <laughs> lost the team week one when they ran gassers. And right. to that end, Mike McCarthy ends up in Dallas. you got a franchise quarterback and Dak Prescott. Here's the deal. They're all good and they're all bad. They're all bad because you're going to a losing team with a losing culture. I mean, you, right. you've done some good homework here. Jets, Jaguars, Chargers, Bears, Lions. You probably throw the Texans in there. I don't know. Falcons. Maybe the Broncos. But I remember, you know, it's to steal a line from Urban Meyer, who when he got his first job offered to coach Bowling Green, he called his mentor, Lou Holtz, and said, I don't know if I want to take this job. It's a lousy job. He goes, of course it's a lousy job, or you wouldn't be offered it. <laughs> they're, they're a losing – right. so you get the picture, right? You're not going to, you know uh, – you know, Cake and ice cream and and you know you know pinwheels. You're going to a, a situation where you got to do a, a lot of heavy lifting. So, which of these jobs would you like to go to? Because all have their pros and all have their cons. Being a Chicago guy, I would have to say not the Chicago Bears. I know how crazy those fans are there. They're completely unrealistic in all their expectations. I would say the L.A. Chargers. I think the lack of expectations from a lack of a real foundation as a fan base, completely new to the city, with the franchise quarterback already in tow, I think give me a five-year deal with the L.A. Chargers. <laughs> I mean, give me a five-year deal with any of these okay, teams, I'll he, take he, it. Here's the con. I'm going to be the, 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 the Debbie Donner tonight. You're stuck in the same conference as, uh, as Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Who's he again? You, you may have read about him in the papers. He plays for the Chiefs. That's number one. And you're in the shadow of the Rams. Yeah. Much the same way the Clippers will always be in the shadow of the Lakers. The Chargers never should have left Can- uh, San Diego. That, to me, is a huge mistake, right? Yeah. I think I you go to these marquee, Mark. If you go to the Jets and you turn them around, and you know what? Trevor Lawrence, if you're listening, and I know you are, if they draft you, you get your ass there tomorrow. You take this opportunity to do what Namath did, what Elway did in Denver, what Peyton did, 
what Terry Bradshaw did in Pittsburgh. So the key is all these jobs are equally good and they're all equally bad in the sense that you've got work to do, but if you come through, there are going to be rewards. I completely agree with that. The tyranny of low expectations can be overcome when you're transcendent talent. I think Trevor Lawrence, I mean, he could be the fifth best quarterback in the NFL. He'd be the best quarterback in Jets history. So that's very attractive from a quarterback's perspective. McKenzie, good stuff. You've done some good homework here. We're going to talk about this as the weeks unwind as we get into December because obviously you're going to start to see these jobs open up and there's going to be rumors and we'll be on top of it. Thanks a lot. All right, that's going to do it for this week of Straight Out of Vegas. I want to thank my crew, Chris Perfett, Eric Roberts, and Brian Finley. I'm Bernie Fratto. Stay tuned for Jason Martin. He brings it strong. Keep it locked. Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas!